Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone will be, in a second, the one and only Don Dawkin. Dawkin have a new album out called The Lost Songs 1978-1981. And of course, Alan, uh, how are you? Mr. Alain Niven, how are you? I'm good. I'm not melting like you are in Montreal, which I find fascinating considering I'm sitting in the middle of a June desert. But uh, you're melting up there and um, did Don melt when you were interviewing interviewing him how was he yeah Don was Don was okay so we we did talk at length about his neck surgery back surgery and all that stuff and uh, he even texted over a couple of pictures which I believe you've seen as well I think he sent them to you too and it just does not look good. It just, it, you know, I've had back issues over the years and stuff, but I've never had that kind of surgery. Once in a while, I'll get an injection, but it's a far cry from what I'm seeing on these pictures. Have you seen the pictures, by the way? Yes, I've seen his x-rays, and they're horrifying. Um, and he he can't play guitar. And, you know, to, to put it bluntly, he told me on a telephone call not so long ago that he could wipe his own ass and he was happy about that, but he needed help with pretty much everything else, you know? So he is suffering. So for him to be going out and thinking of touring, he's, he's being the trooper. Um, that said, you know, my perception of Don was he's a studio craftsman. I've never seen him as being, uh, an exemplar of the live performance. But he really is a master of the studio and the songwriting craft. Yeah, he really is. And so uh, he he was cleaning out a a um, an area, a, lo- a locker, and he found these tapes from 78 to 81. And he brushed them up and he said, okay, some of these work, some of these don't. Got the new band, got some other guys to all play on it. And so we've got this great collection, 11 songs. Now, it does come out in August. And it's got all these things. You've got George Lintz on some songs, Gary Holland, Mick Brown, Rusty Allen. Um, were you around for any of those early Dawkins recordings back in in those days? Cause I, cause when exactly did you live with or near Don Dawkins? It was 80 or 81, um, thereabouts, or 81 or 82, somewhere around there. And the first recordings that I was aware of of Don's were off an album he had made in Germany with Dieter Dirks and were released on a, a, a small independent label in, in, in Europe called Career. And uh, that was the record that made me think, you know, I've got to help this guy out. And um, he originally wanted me to sign him to a little label I was starting up. And... Uh, I remember well, he came into my office and I told him that I couldn't sign him. And he was stunned and he looked at me and he said, well, it's better than the Motley record. And I said, well, production-wise and song-wise, it may be better than the Motley record. But I said, how old are you? And he said, I'm 30. And I said, exactly. You need to be on a major label right away. So let me see if I can help in that regard. Um, My point being that he did not have the time to waste being on a minor label for two, three, four years. He needed to be on a major label straight away. So 
we ended up getting him a deal at Electra. A, a great deal, which gave us a lot of great music. And I'll ask you this, uh, as a songwriter yourself, did you ever sit down with Don and write songs? Like, are, are any of these songs potentially something that you may have written with him? No, absolutely not. But what I will tell you is that, um, uh, especially when he was working on his solo album, um, Don would have me come by and listen to his demo tapes and say, what do you think? And I'd go, I think you're going to have a terrific record. Of course, he spent too long recording it and overproduced it and took all the vitality out of it. But what I will say is that while we didn't work directly together, um, when we were living together, I was very conscious of what he did and how he did it. And I learned a lot from him by observation. Um, mainly to the good, and one or two things he did, and I went, mm, I, I don't think I'd do that. But um, very much he informed my sense of songwriting. Great, great songwriter. And, of course, that, that solo album, I think, had Mickey D on it, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from uh, from Motorhead. Just an yeah. incredible drummer. Yes, he... Yes, um, Mickey D is an amazing drummer. Um, is he not now with Scorpions? He is absolutely now with Scorpions, and... Uh, as Don, you'll hear in the interview, tells it, uh, he was a, a victim of the coronavirus and uh, has been suffering. So there you go. Mickey D. M Mickey D's been suffering, or Don's been suffering. Mickey D. Accor according to Don, uh, Mickey D. Uh, caught the coronavirus and has been uh, suffering uh, terribly. And now I, I haven't seen that released in the media anywhere, so I'll take Don's word for it. But apparently, Mickey has been real bad with uh, COVID-19. Well, let's uh, light a little candle for Mickey tonight and uh, wish him well. You know, I'm getting to that stage in my life where, you know, I can get a text at midnight and somebody tells me their cancer has moved from their pancreas to their hip bone and you go, oh my God, you know, and you just, or you, you feel so helpless, but you offer a prayer for them. So let's offer a prayer for Mickey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, prayers to Mickey D. And uh, well, you know what? Let's just get over to Don and let's listen to Don tell uh, the story about his neck, his back, the new album, Mickey D. and all that other stuff. Uh, here is uh, the one, the only Don Dawkin. We are speaking with uh, Dawkin frontman Don Dawkin. The new album is The Lost Songs 1978-1981 coming out in August. Uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour, uh, Monsieur Dawkin. How are you? Uh, bonjour. Everything, we, oui, everything's good. Yeah, so so let's talk about this, because there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. In the last few days, you've announced some social distancing shows. You've announced uh, that some of them are going to take place with Red Beach. We've got this Lost Collection, uh, all kinds of stuff. So let's let's start off with the Lost Songs. Um, I do see that BJ Zampa and uh, John and, and some of the, the more modern-day Dawkin members are on it. So what's sort of the story of these lost songs? Were these tapes that you found and they came in and did some post-production and added some flavor to? Some flavor? Or, or, yes. Okay, so... The tapes have been lost in my storage locker for 25 years. And I decided to clear out my storage locker because I hadn't been in there in five years. And I thought, what the hell's in there? I don't know. You know, and I went in there and I found all this old, like, stage clothes and broken light cases and blown up amplifiers. And and I decided to clear it all out and move all my stuff to my new home in New Mexico. And so uh, I was going through the garage and throwing shit away. 
and got down toward the end, and I found this kind of, you know, plastic tub. Well, it was really heavy, shoved way in the back, and I pulled it out, and there was all these reel-to-reel tapes, and I just go, what the hell is this, you know? Because I, tr- I thought I'd given all my reels, my masters back to the record company. I was in control of all the dock and masters for 20 years. And I just said, why am I paying the storage fees on this? I don't own these songs, you know? So uh, anyway, how they ended up in my garage, I have no clue. So I, I found uh, uh, Total Access Studios, where I've worked a million times with Wynn Davis. He actually still has a multi-track machine in the studio, even though it probably hasn't been started up in 15 years. So I went in and put the tapes on. We baked them in an oven. You know, you put them in a convection oven, you bake them, you get so they don't stick to the heads. And I just did one pass and I transferred all this stuff. Didn't even know it was on there. And I found all these songs. Some were done, some weren't done. You know, some had a drum machine on them that sounded really cheesy. Some had my guitar sound that sounded like crap, you know. So I just had John redo some of the guitars. I sent the songs that had drum machine to BJ. He put new drums on it, you know, just tried to clean them up and make them a little sound a little better. Now, now, do you know where these songs were supposed to go? Or were they, you know, were they written for your connection back with the Scorpions back in the day? Were they written for Dawkins records or was it just these songs that you had and there was no, you had just sort of written them randomly. Where do they come from in terms of what, what were they supposed to be? There were just songs I wrote randomly that just didn't make it on a record. I think it was all kind of stuff geared for breaking the chains. But then when George joined the band and George and Mick came to Germany, we ended up writing a whole new batch of songs. So these kind of just fell by the way. And plus, people don't realize everybody writes. If you have 11 songs on a record, you write like 12 or 14 or 15. And you pick the 11 best, you know? Because back in the day, that's all you could put on a record, 11. That was the max, 45 minutes, or 48, whatever it was. So I, I don't really know where some of these songs, they were just stuff I was doing in the studio, you know? i just go in the studio at night, and people let me in there to fuck around, and I would just, you know, write songs. But a lot of them had lyrics missing, and the drum machine and my guitar sound wasn't very good. And, you know, I was 25, six years old. I didn't know what I was doing. So it didn't exactly sound hi-fi. And, uh, and then I was talking to my record company one day and told them, Oh, I found all these old songs. Maybe one of them would be good for the new studio album. And actually I did find a song from these tapes that I kept off the record. It's going to be on the next album because it's too good of a song to let go. It's called Like a Rose, and it's just a really great song. And the band said, you need to save that for our studio album. So I did. So that's how it came about, you know. And But, you know, a couple, some of the songs I couldn't fix. They just, there was no copies. I didn't have masters. <clears throat> I went on YouTube. I found a whole bunch of old, you know, songs of mine that somebody had a copy of, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And like on Broken Heart. That was my first single. And I did in 78, but I listened to it on the internet. It just sounded horrible. And it wasn't good enough to put on a record. It's just, you know, it's just horrible sounding. Or even uh, Hit and Run, that was a horrible sounding, uh, you know, thing on YouTube. But I had written that with Juan Crucier, and I called Juan, and Juan goes, I have a good copy of Hit and Run. I got a good copy of that. 
I said, oh, great, send it to me. And then by irony, I'm doing an interview about two months ago with Swedish Rock Magazine. And the guy is talking about my first tour in 79. And he said he was there at when we played Berlin. I said, okay. And he goes, I remember you were selling a little seven inch 45 with a song called Broken Heart and Hard Rock Woman on it. I said, yeah. I said, I don't even own a copy of that. I only had like 400 copies and I sold them in Germany only. And they're long gone into history. And he says, no, actually, I have to, I still have that record. And I said, you're shitting me, right? Because <laughs> I found it on the internet. It sounded terrible. So I said, you've got to do me a favor and find that 45 and make me a, and make a CD of it and, and like, you know, MP3 me. So he did. That's an act of God, I call it. That's a, definitely an act of God. It's a great story. Um, so I mean, I, I mean, all the people, I'm making a record to talk about it. And this guy's going, yeah, I have that song, Hard Rock Woman. I have the record. <laughs> it's brand new. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, well, I have to find it. You know, I haven't listened to it in 20 years, but I do have a copy somewhere. And sure enough, he found it. And he, he emailed me, a, you know, a copy. Yeah, he said he had a hell of a time just getting somebody to make a copy. Nobody owns record players anymore, especially not a 45 turntable. And he went to a vintage record store in Sweden and they had an old record player that plays 45s. So they plugged it in and they transferred it to a little thumb drive and they sent it to me. So it was just luck. Well, well, hey, it's great luck. Now, in terms of these songs, are these sort of the only 11 ones that were in a position to be put on a disc and sold? Or is there another locker with another box and we might get a second collection in a year from now or we might get the Lost Songs 82 to 85? Is there more or is this really like, nope, this is what we got. Enjoy it, fans. This is it. Okay. Okay. After I found, after I found the tapes, I tore the garage apart to make sure there wasn't anything else. And anything else, I'm sure there are a lot of songs that we wrote in the 80s during the Lynch, Pilsen, Brown days that didn't make it to a tooth and nail on Rock and Key, Back to Attack. There were a lot of songs on those records that we wrote and they didn't make it. But those are in the possession of Warner Brothers. They have the masters, so they're gone. Yeah, you're not, you're not getting those back. Now, uh, you did mention uh, you kept one song for the next new album. What are right. sort of the the prospects on that? Is it done? Is it have you started writing? Is it recorded and it's just waiting for a release date? What and 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 do we have BJ and Chris and John on there, or is it a different lineup? What when when do we get a new new Dawkin album? Well, we're half done. You know, we're half, we've got enough songs, but you know, because of my surgery, that completely put the brakes on the record because I can't compose anymore. I can't play guitar, so therefore I can't write. I can't play piano, you know, I can't play. So when you can't play guitar, it's kind of hard to compose a song. So, uh, and I, I thought after the surgery, they said, give us six months, you'll be fine. Well, it's been seven months and my right arm's still paralyzed. So that's the end of that. So I have to accept it, you know? And uh, they fucked me up. What, what can I say? They botched the surgery. So uh, John's a great guitar player. And the good news is, I guess, is that I don't just write songs for records. I just write. I had a full-blown uh, 
Pro Tools recording studio in my bedroom in L.A. And every couple of days, I just pick up my guitar and turn it on. I just record ideas. And it turns out now, five years later, we have tons and tons of material that I never made it onto Broken Bones. So we're working on those songs. So thank God I wrote those songs so I could still play guitar before I got paralyzed. In terms of, of, of your health, you know, they said six months, we're at seven, like you just said. Is the arm paralyzed permanently? And, and by paralyzed, do we really mean no motion at all? Or is it sort of like 20% motion, 30%? Like how serious is the condition? I can lift my arm up and down. Okay. I cannot move my fingers. I can't move my thumb. I can't, I'm doing it right now, I can't turn my arm upside down and lift my hand. It's too heavy. All the muscles in my trapezius, my thoracic, all the muscles in my arm are gone. They're completely gone. I have no muscles. My right arm is 100% atrophy because they severed something in my spine and all, I, all my muscles died. So I have no, how do you call it, fine motor skills. I can move my fingers about Mm, about an inch. I can't make a fist. I, let's put it this way. I can't hold a fork. I can't hold a glass. I'm talking to you right now with my left hand holding the phone because my right hand is not strong enough to hold the phone. If I put my the phone in my hand right now, it'll just fall into my hand. So it sucks. It's paralyzed. Like when I mean paralyzed, kind of like stroke paralyzed. I don't know why it happened. I don't know how it happened. I went to two surgeons, and both surgeons turned me down through surgery. They didn't want to do it. These are spinal surgeons. They said, too dangerous. And I said, why? And they said, we don't know what happened to your back. We don't know what's going on, but your spinal cord is completely crushed. Like you had an accident, like you got rear-ended, or you, like you had a motorcycle accident. I said, no, I didn't. But I was having symptoms for almost two years. Like playing guitar, but it was getting hard to play guitar. My fingers were getting weak. They would twitch. Uh, I was dropping my pick every song. Kept dropping a lot of picks. Uh, riding my Harley, I couldn't hold on to the throttle. My hand wasn't strong enough. I couldn't pull the clutch in. And I swung with the doctor. I said, man, my hands are weak. And they're tingling. And then my fingers are numb. What's going on? So they did an MRI. And he said, you know, bad news. You know, your, your, your spinal cord's crushed. They put 13 screws and two plates in my spine. Let's put it that way. If I sent you a picture, if I sent you a picture of my spine, the MRI, you would understand what happened to me. Well, I'm I'm trying to now now do you uh, and I'll I'll move on to 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 more pleasant topics in a second, but because I, I actually I actually get injections in my back, but 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 do you think it's just from being a part of me? I did it for years. But but do you think this is just from being a, a a musician on stage and sometimes getting overly energetic and jumping up and down and maybe jumping off a speaker stack? Do you, do you think you somehow yes, crushed it I by being racked, a singer? I have racked my brain trying to figure out what the fuck happened. I have racked my brain. They said it looks like you were in a really bad car accident, like rear-ended. Are you on your cell phone? No, I'm on. Uh, I, we are doing this through the through the computer through Skype. Oh, because I would have uh, I would have sent you the picture, and you could understand. Oh, oh, you can send me the picture. I I have my cell phone next to me, 
But okay, yeah. but uh, all right. Let, let, let's not I turn have, this. I in. have two. I have two uh, phone numbers for you. Is it the okay? Yeah. I just sent you a picture, and that will explain everything. Let us have a look. <laughs> oh, it didn't come through yet. But okay, so wow, that that is. Uh, I mean, you know, for 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 me in my back, I know exactly what happened. It, it's years of sports and jumping up and down and tennis and throwing myself on the ground. And at some point, age went. Yeah, dude, don't do that anymore. But yeah, I, can't I thought imagine. it was my karate. You know, I, you know, I studied karate. You know, for thirty years. I went to Korea to study with Master Kim and get my black belt. And you know, I got hit. You know, I've got dropped to the ground. I just don't know what happened. I just don't know. And this is a not a normal spot. But then again, Dave Fingers, my old road manager, he had the exact same surgery, same problem, herniated five, six, seven. He's fine. But the problem was majorly nobody wanted to operate on me and go through the front of my neck because they said you're a singer and you could lose your voice. For a year, they said, maybe, or change the sound of your voice. And I said, well, I don't want that, you know. So they said, you, we, because of who you are and you're a singer, we really need to go through the back of you. And I said, but they go, but that is like, you know, we have to find like a very high tech specialist surgeon. And they did. Wow. And By said, the way, fucked me up. I'm looking at these pictures. They, uh, ooh. <laughs> I mean, that is... That is one heck of a gash. My Lord. That's pretty bad. They cut me all the way down the middle of my back. Uh, Dave just has a little two-inch, you know, uh, cut in his neck. So I don't know why they went so crazy on me. You know, I'm going to try to think positive and hope it comes back in a year, year and a half. Uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, there's nothing I can do, you know. You know, you can sue somebody that doesn't make your hand come back doesn't now uh and i listen i'm now now i'm curious with these questions does can can you move your neck i mean can you can you look left to right because i'm looking at this and i'm thinking that's gotta hurt so uh i have limited range okay and are you doing physiotherapy i mean I've, i've already done all that there's no point in it right this isn't this isn't a muscle thing this has nothing to do with you look at the screws in my neck, you know, doing physical therapy is not going to make them go away. You know, um, I did physical therapy until COVID hit. Then the therapist couldn't come see me anymore. But that was just to make my legs stronger because I was real weak in my hips. The way they cut my back so severely, they severed a lot of nerves to my upper glutes and my hip muscles. My legs were weak. My whole body was weak. So... I'm just waiting, man. I'm just fucking waiting, you know. All right, so let, let, let's quickly, because uh, we, we do have half an hour. Let me let me get into uh, these shows. You've announced uh, three shows so far in uh, Virginia, uh, Arkansas, and uh, Texas. I believe is the other one. Um, talk to me about that because we we are in this COVID period. The the deconfinement seems to have been or seems to be increasing numbers in a lot of places. Uh, are you scared to, to do these shows or is this like, no, nah, I, I just got to go rock. Well, uh, talk to me about these shows and, and, and any fears or apprehensions, or is it just like, Hey, it'll be what it'll be. And I'm just going to go rock. 
Well, obviously. I mean, I have apprehension. I mean, it's... Uh, well, I mean, look, I'm not worried about the concert. You know, I'm just not. You know, um, you know, we're going to be on stage 30 feet away from everybody. We're going to be in a hotel. We're not going to talk to anybody. We're going to wear a mask. You know, you do your due diligence. Uh, why they're doing these shows, I don't know. I thought we nobody would be playing until next year, you know? Uh, John Levin is not playing the show with us. It's Red Beach because John has a 90-year-old father and he's the primary caregiver. And he said, I don't feel comfortable getting on a plane, you know, catching COVID. So I have to respect his decision, you know. Yeah, you, so, you do. And I was actually going to ask you if it was if it was uh, him not wanting to play these shows. So in terms of getting Reb back then... Is because you know you look at the what was that a uh, erase the slate or, or the whatever what right. a great album and what a great tour I mean Reb Reb with the band was fantastic so that's got to be exciting for you to have that energy back right N- no disrespect to John yeah. of course cause I love John you know. no Reb's great we did that great video live from the sun the bitchin video we did that live record live video it was great you know with Reb. It was the last tour we did with Jeff. and um, But, you know, I had to respect John's decision. His father's, you know, old, and he takes care of him. And uh, as far as me catching it, I go, of course I don't want to catch it. You know, I talked to Mickey D last week, and he, him and his wife were sick as dogs for a month, and they caught it in Australia on the Scorpions tour. And he actually caught COVID, and he said, trust me, you don't want to get this. It's like you just want to die. You just want to die. And Mickey's a very healthy, fit guy. And him and Mia both were like, he said, Don, I was just laying on the floor half the time. Wow, that that is terrible. That that is that is awful. Now, uh, but, and he, the point I was making about Mickey was, when the Scorpions went to Australia, they totally practiced social distancing, no meet and greets, no handshakes, no meeting with anybody. And Mickey goes, you know, you get that, you do that one little slip up. He said, I think I got it. On the last day of the tour, we all went out to dinner, the band and crew, and a couple promoter people and their girlfriends, and we were all having dinner, and that's when I caught it, he said. So you just don't know, you know? No, you you don't, and, and it's 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 really... so. All right, look, let me just quickly talk then about the industry, because you're going to do these shows, and the, the crowds are going to be controlled. So instead of having thousands of fans, they're going to have, you know, limited people, 100 people, 200. Uh, no, 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 no. No, that's not true. No, okay. No. It's a 5,000 capacity and they can do 50%. So we're allowed to have 2,500 people. Oh, okay. But still, though, the math, the math becomes difficult. So... How do you tour and have shows and keep it profitable if your your max cap is is, is reduced by fifty percent before even the tickets go on sale? Is it is it more difficult? Is it sustainable? How how do you sort of see us moving forward with this? Well, I can't answer that question because I'm not the promoter. You know, if if, if fifty people show up or fifty thousand, I get paid the same amount of money. You know, that's not my issue. I don't get paid for ticket sales. I make a contract, they offer me X amount of dollars, and I say yes or no. So if 100 people show up or 1,000 people show up, as far as my income, it is sustainable, yes, because it doesn't matter. 
But the first shows in Virginia, it's Dr. Pepper Amusement Park. They're a billion-dollar corporation. I don't think it'll hurt them. You know, but uh, the state of Virginia, the governor says our economy is in the toilet, and we have to get people out and doing things. And so they're opening up the Dr. Pepper amusement park, roller coasters and all that stuff, and they want to have Doc and come and play to get people in the park. But that, that, that the financially has nothing to do with me. I have my key, and I don't budget lately. Mm-hmm. So Which is... Arkansas, same thing. It's a fair... But the reason they're allowing it is they're allowing outdoor gatherings. Now, does it mean outdoors, indoors? Who gives a shit? You know, you can still catch it. You know, it's kind of silly when they say, well, you will have a concert outside. You won't catch it. That's stupid. If we have 2,500 people there, it's going to be a problem. It will be. Now, the other the the other exciting thing about these shows, other than uh, Red Beach being there is uh, George Lynch is going to come out and uh, do a couple of encores with you. Uh, talk to me about that that quick little reunion thing because we we had this tour I guess in. Uh, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting feedback on the line, but we had a tour scheduled with I guess uh, back in the spring where we were talking about Lita Ford, George Lynch, and all that, and then of course all canceled. Um, right, but uh, he will come out so. Talk to me a little bit about that and having him come out and do these songs and, and just be on stage with him again. Well, it's just going to be fun, I hope. You know, I mean, we're, we're doing it because uh, that's what people want to see. You know, I'm not going to replace John Levin, but, you know, I figured this is a happy medium. George can play with us with Lynch Mob, and he can play a few encores, and it'll make the fans happy. Listen, this little package with Reb Beach, George Lynch, and yourself as a fan makes me exceptionally happy because it's like the best of all the worlds. You get the erase the slate, the 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 the, the you know it's not love and all that stuff all combined into one. It's like the perfect evening. Yeah, I think it's I think yeah. it's fantastic, and hopefully yep. it'll go. We're gonna forward. do Matter, Matter, which is the song that Reb wrote. Uh, so we do a, we'll do a couple of race the slate songs and. You know, greatest hits, and that's what's going. It's going to be pretty awesome. It will be, and of course, I'll remind the folks: uh, the Lost Songs, nineteen seventy-eight, nineteen eighty-one, out in August. And uh, Don, always a pleasure. And of course, uh, do take care of yourself. And I hope that you get to come back at a hundred percent because uh, I've had back pain in life, and it is not fun. And what what I'm seeing on these pictures is probably a hundred times worse than I've ever experienced. And <laughs> that's got to be super not fun. I had the injections for 10 years, you know, and just like you do, you know, you, when back pain, you know, it just, it just cripples you, you know, when your back hurts, you, you know, you can't move, you just can't even think. You just want to sit there and grit your teeth. But what happened to me, you know, it was the luck of the draw. I thought I went to the best surgeon, Cedar sinai the best hospital, and I absolutely picked the wrong doctor. Wow, that, that, that is brutal. Yeah, and, and I know what you mean about the... Uh... <laughs> About the back, I, I went and uh, was grocery shopping two weeks ago, and I literally reached down for a can of soup, and and I ended up not being able to walk out of the store. My daughter had to help me out, and I was like, "Oh, come on, really?" <laughs> yeah, and people don't relate to that, and that's happened to me. I mean, my doctor said, "With your back as bad as it is, you're still driving a Harley." I said, "Yep," but you know, he said it only takes you hitting one big bump and jarring your spine, and you're going to be in hell. It's happened, you know, it is. Say you grab a can of soup, you bend over to tie your shoe, and all of a sudden, oh my God, what did I do? 
But when, after the surgery, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would wake up and be paralyzed. So, right hand. I mean, both my arms are paralyzed. So I guess I look at the positive that my left arm's working. The problem is I'm right-handed. <laughs> I can't even sign my name. I can't pick up a cut. I can't. I can't even eat. Hold a fork. You know. I mean, it's paralyzed. You know. So I'm hoping. I heard that Dave Mustaine had paralysis after a surgery, and he was going. He announced his book. He was going to retire. And he got his arm back. Uh, Inbe Malmstein, he was paralyzed after his accident. He had problems for a year. So I'm hoping it's only been seven months. God willing, that it'll I'll get something back in my arm. And and you know what the the, the one maybe good thing about COVID is that you did get to be at home and it did you did get to rest. And I'm hoping that that rest will will pay off uh, for you and and get you back to 100. percent yeah, it was like timing. I got to do the uh, Lost Tapes album. I'm working on a new studio album, um, doing my physical therapy and going, trying to go hike on my property and get my strength back and hike up on the trails and with my dogs and, you know, and just making music. It's all I can do. And now we have this whole new way of making music. Everybody's making new records. They're just doing it over the Internet. You know, you have <laughs> Zoom, you have Skype, you have... You know, I get John on Skype, I get uh, the guys on Zoom, and, and we all just brainstorm on the computer about songs, you know. If we could have done this in 1984, it would have been great for, all, for, for creativity. Anyway. Uh, great to you. It's a lot cheaper, too. <laughs> yep. You know, the, would, have brought the, would have brought you your recoupment cost that down quite a bit. Oh fuck, man! I mean, I remember we used to spend buy, make those videos, and the budget was one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. And I'm like, holy shit, that's more than the record cost, you know, for one four-minute video. And then we just made our our uh, that video I did with George, Jeff, and Mick after the Japanese tour. It's just another day. We made that video for ten grand, and it looks great. So everything changed. The world's changed, you know, digital world, digital computers. In the 80s, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have... I remember in the 80s, if you wanted to know what was going on with the band, you had to go buy a magazine. You had to go buy Hit Parade or Cream or Circus to know what's going on in a band's life. Now, if the guy stubs his toe, it's, it's out on social media five minutes later. It's a really strange world. But this whole... And, and beyond... But it gave me a lot to write about in this new record. You know, our president and how the government's being run... Uh, all these protests and marches and a lot of thugs breaking into things. When I see people on the news every night smashing windows open and stealing things, what does that have to do with representing George Floyd? I mean, nothing. It's all bullshit. You know, I hate it. So plenty, plenty to write about. Yeah, there, there's the, the the social landscape out there is is primed for for commentary via song. And uh, on that, Don, I have got to go interview CCR. But always, always a pleasure. And uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Merci. Bye bye. À la prochaine. Cheers. That was perfect. Bye bye. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.